Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download your apps. Let's go to this week's message in our series on the kingdom, the thing Jesus talked about more than anything else and how this impacts the way we live today. I'm here to introduce our speaker because he's been with us before. Uh, Let me explain. He and his wife were part of Grace Life from 2006 to 2010. Lauren's on our worship team this morning, and she actually was on the worship team back in the day when I was leading worship a lot back then. So it's kind of cool. Nick Lepresto is going to speak for us. Uh, They came back here in January. He's in, in the Air Force. He's a chaplain. Uh, captain headed toward major. It's okay to say that, I guess. Yeah, okay. Uh, he's, uh, he's got his um, Master of Divinity from Columbia International University in 2007. We ordained him here in 2007, and uh, they're back. Came back in January. Yeah, that's good stuff. So we're, uh, I've already got to hear him once. It's good, very good. You guys get your hearing ears ready to go, spiritual ears, be ready to listen and Listen fast. All right. So, it's my privilege to introduce to you Nick Lepresto, and we're going to let him have it. All right. Welcome, Nick Lepresto. Right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Grace Life. So, we had the morning service, right? You got your 12 o'clock service. They say this is the sweet spot service, Right? Right? I already went through this, the sermon once, so all the edits and all the, you know, it's got blood all over it, so it's all good. So now you guys are going get, get to the, get the best here. But uh, yeah, Ken is right. I'll tell you what, man. I, I posted something on Facebook uh, before the first service, and I wrote down hashtags. I'm not really into all that stuff, but I did. I felt took a quick selfie, Lauren and, and the team, and, and I wrote down hashtag home sweet home. And that's exactly how I feel. Because, you see, and I, you know, Joe and Kent and Jimmy, uh, thank you, brother, for uh, giving us an opportunity for Laura and I to serve at this church, Grace Life. And I'm going to tell you what. So we were here 2006. We were newlyweds, and we met the leadership here, and they poured into us. They mentored us. They helped us with our marriage. They helped us with our spiritual formation. They equipped us, and then they sent us out. Now, for Lauren and I, they sent us out to, to Washington. It was just the two of us. She was pregnant with the twins, and we went off to, to uh, Washington State, Joint Base Lewis-McChord, and I got a chance to serve in the two communities over there. We had the pilots that did a lot of the car- car- cargo with the um, transporting stuff, the C-17s, and then we got a chance to serve at our AFSOC, our special ops units. We did that in Washington for five years. All three of our kids were born, and then uh, God sent us to Joint Base uh, San Antonio, Randolph uh, Air Force Base. And there I did some recruiting and I got a chance to, to meet tons of different people. But what's very cool about where God has sent us to Washington, to Texas, and a bunch of little TDYs and deployments in between there, he sent us back home. So it's like coming full circle. But there's one thing that God burned into our hearts, he burned into our souls, and that is to know God, to love people, and to reach our world right? That's what makes this place, for all the traveling and the TDYs and the movings, um, this place is special. I mean that with the leadership, how God is using 
you, how God is using the leadership uh, as we get ready for our new building. This place is special. Don't take it for granted. I'm telling you that right now. Any military folks that are here, I mean, just soak it in, receive, serve, and receive, and be ready to be unleashed where God sends you to your next assignment. But today, today's assignment, and to quote one of my heroes, Miles Finch, I am psyched out of my mind about part four of the kingdom. I'm going to uh, <clears throat> see, Laura and I have been married for, for 12 years. We have three girls. You met them, probably, or heard them at least. Elizabeth, Julia, and Courtney, seven-year-old twins and five-year-olds. And uh, they're fun. They're crazy. And, uh, you know, they get all the good looks from Lauren and all the loudness from me. And uh, that's all right when you're half Italian. So we're in the middle of this series, and I'm going to do a quick little recap. I want to recap to where we are today. If there's any first-timers here, I want to welcome you all. And uh, so first, I'm going to start off with sin entered into the world. Now, we talked about that when God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all these things, and he created Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had a perfect, unbroken relationship with God. Unbroken relationship with God. And then all of a sudden, temptation took place. And they chose to disobey God and said yes, and he ate the fruit. And as a result of that one act, as a result of that one act, two things took place. Mankind lost complete domain over the world. They lost complete domain over the world, and they also lost their relationship with God. Man, one choice, heavy consequences. They lost that relationship with God. So we know in, in sin, the sin nature was now in the inside of Adam and Eve and in, entered into all of us. Romans 5.12 says, Death in Adam, therefore just as sin came into the world, through one man and death through sin, so death spread, so sin spread through all. So now you see my kids. You can see, okay, Elizabeth, blonde hair, body type like Lauren, and you see Julia, brown hair, brown eyes, Courtney, brown hair, Julia's lefty just like me. It doesn't take much to see where they inherited certain traits from me and Lauren, right? Well, guess what? We inherited a trait from Adam. It's called that sin nature. But check this out. It's the, not the sins that we do that has separated us from God. The sins that we do is the fruit of the sin nature. It is the nature that we are born with is why our relationship with God is broken. That's why we are not saved. And that's what Christ did to mend the broken relationship. Jesus was, was born, and from age 12 to 30, Scripture says nothing about his life. It says nothing about his life from 12 to 30. Then he passed through the water baptism, baptized by his cousin, John. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. Then after, after that, he was led by the Spirit. And we talked about this. He was led by the Spirit. He fasted for 40 days, and he was confronted by Satan himself. I like to call this Satan's koa, Satan's course of action. And he did three things. We talked about this last week. Satan's koa can be broken down into three things. Lust of the flesh lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now we see, just to summarize, Jesus fasted for 40 days, and Satan tempted him, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Satan tempted Eve, and he said, eat this fruit from the tree of life. You see, lust of the flesh. Then he said to Jesus, Satan said to Jesus, I will give all authority over the kingdoms if you bow down to me. The serpent said to Eve, Eve, surely you won't die. 
if you eat this fruit? Lust of the eye. And then finally, the pride of life. And then the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point. And he said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself off down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. And he said to Eve, if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open. You will be you will know the difference between good and evil. You will be like God. The beloved apostle John said this in his letter. He footstomped Satan's koas, 1 John 2.16, for everything in the world, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Those three temptations, Satan's koas, that he used against our Lord, that he used against Adam and Eve, my friends, he uses them against us. He uses against us. The same cause, just repackaged. It's just repackaged. And it's specially packaged for you. Because he knows where our weaknesses are. Right? You know, and we'll talk about that a little bit. A little bit later. But our culture loves to foot stomp the world, world, word hero. You know, you got your superheroes, we have our military heroes. We have our sports heroes. Now, I know there's a lot of sport guys here. You know, we had the, the football draft this past week, and everyone sitting at the edge of their seats hoping that you're going to get to draft the next great athlete, superstar, football hero to lead your team to the promised land, right? Now, listen, I'm a Bills fan, not by choice, but by birth, right? So we have no heroes Right, it's very depressing. I watch this and my family, we get together, we lose Super Bowls, we, we, we huddle, we share tissues, we cry. It's, it's awful, man, it's awful. Being a Bills fan, there are no heroes, but that's all right because they broke me and made me humble to support and to worship the one real hero that there is, and that hero is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That hero is Jesus, and Jesus came into the world to write what Adam and Eve did. There's two things that Jesus did, and he did the first one was destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He did it in 1 John Chapter 3, 8, and it says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Satan and his army used the same temptation, used the same tactics. But then Satan hit Christ with temptation. What did Jesus do? He punched him back with Scripture. He hit him a combination, man, left and a right. He fought Satan with Scripture. That's a koa for us. We are hit with temptation. We need to fight back with Scripture. We need to fight back with Scripture. The second thing, and it's what I want to footstomp today, this is what we're going to really focus on, is number two, that Jesus came into this world to save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21 said this, And Mary, she will bear a son, and she will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is the focus of today. That is the focus of <clears throat> number four of this message is Jesus came into the world to save people from their sins. Jesus emerged from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and he launched into his three-year ministry. Three-year ministry. A lot can happen in three years. Jesus revolutionized the world in three years. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. From the time Jesus began to preach, he started talking about the word repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God 
is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here. Now, Grace Life, let me ask you, what does the word repent mean? Right? What does the word repent mean? To turn away. Uh, you can answer me back. That's okay. I'm cool with that. Listen, being an old military guy, it's easy to talk about repentance because it's just an about face, right? If you're walking towards this blinding blue light, that's sin, right? And then all of a sudden, I need to repent. I am going to turn, do a 180 and about face. I'm going to walk towards that exit sign. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. Jesus said this twice, and it was a command. He says, unless ye repent, you will likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. God has called us, commanded us to turn away from sin, to do an about face, and walk towards him. That's what repentance is all about. So we're going to break down the ministry of Christ into three parts. We're going to break the ministry of Christ into three parts. The year one of inauguration, year two of illustration, and year three, intensification. I'm going to kind of park on these three points right here. So the first one, the year of inauguration. In a conversation at night, Jesus got together with Nicodemus. And in that conversation, Nicodemus said, so what does it mean to be born again? Or what does one have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus replied in John 3, he answered, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5. He repeated himself, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now water, the theologians have took that and they're trying to, to decide, well, water is that like the physical birth that one goes through out of the birth canal, that type of water? Or is it water baptism? Or is it just a spiritual baptism birth, the Holy Spirit? We'll let the theologians decide what that means. But I want to talk about what it means to be born of the spirit, to be born again. We're going to talk about that to be born again. Because in year two, was talk about the year of illustration. The kingdom of heaven over the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of darkness. Jesus preached declaring the kingdom and he exercised all authority that he had by challenging the Pharisees, by challenging religion, <clears throat> and by crushing Satan, and by challenging the enemy. For years, for centuries, the kingdom of God was assaulted by leaders, ungodly leaders, building their earthly kingdoms under the influence of the kingdom of darkness and Satan and sin. And Jesus came to make that right. He modeled what it is to rebuke the religion, the religious, to rebuke the Pharisees. He showed us how to be the gentle pastor to his flock, right? Has anybody experienced that in gentleness, right? That the Lord just touched your soul with a gentleness that no man, no woman could ever do. Just touched your soul, regardless of a sin that you committed, a loneliness, a depression that you may be struggling with. He touched your soul, the gentle shepherd. And then he also was the God of valor, a warrior against the prince of darkness. Jesus executed his ultimate authority over these three domains, over the religion, over the believer, and over Satan himself. That gentle pastor I love this verse in Luke 12, 32. It says here, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. Fear not, little flock. How awesome is that? Fear not. We have nothing to fear. We have a 
perfect relationship with God because of Christ, and we have heaven before us. Now, verse 3, year of intensification. Matthew 16, 13 and 19. So when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea and Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And some say, well, John the Baptist, uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. So Jesus said, okay, but who do you say I am? Who do you say he is, Grace Life? Peter said, Simon Peter said, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I want to go back to year one for a second. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you ever asked yourself, how does salvation take place? Like, or or do you ever question whether or not you're saved? Am I really saved? I, I don't know, man. I still sin. If people knew the skeletons were in my closet, or how about this? There's no way God could forgive that. Do you ever think like that? Listen to this, my friends. We have to accept that salvation is not something rooted in a person's will, but in capability. We have to accept it is not about a person's will, but it's in a capability. We are born into this world 100% blind, 100% sin, 100% dead spiritually. I don't care how many times you slap a corpse, it is never going to wake up. It's dead. It's dead. So were you spiritually. Our sin nature... So I, I'll be honest with you for a second. I want to go back here for a second. I, I used to think that I could win an argument. I can win someone over for Christ in a conversation. I could argue them to the cross, right? I could outsmart them to the cross. I can show them. I can read all the Ravi Zacharias books and DVDs. I can read all the theologian books. I get all the MDivs that I could possibly, one could honestly get. And guess what? I will win people to Christ because I will crush them cognitively. It is not flesh and blood, my friends. It is not flesh and blood. If we evangelize out of the flesh, you're going to fail. Because it's not about you, it's about Christ. Our sin nature, flesh, will not accept, comprehend the gospel of the cross. This is all the unbelievers. Unbelievers, the sin nature's flesh cannot accept and comprehend the gospel of the cross. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. The word reveal comes a Greek word, apocalypto, which means to uncover, to lay open. What has been, to lay open what has been veiled, to disclose or to make bare. We are blind, spiritually blind. We cannot see. It doesn't matter how many times someone throws John 3.16 in your face. You can't see it. You can't comprehend it. It's a lack of capability. But then God does something. He does something. And then you have the ability. It's what God did that changed Peter. It's what God did that changed you. That made you say, I declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now I have the ability. 
Now I have the desire in my heart. Because beforehand, the only desire I had is to sin. And I love to sin. Right? But now I'm saved. And I'm drawn to sin. But my will is to not sin. I want to obey Christ. Only through the personal, miraculous act of God by the Holy Spirit making a person born again will a person have the capability to, to answer the question, if Jesus was to say to you, who do you say I am? It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our wills will be changed and we will irresistibly say yes to the gospel and yes to Christ. Ephesians 1 says this, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having been predestined us to adoption by his sons, by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Not my will, because my Sin nature will is to be an enemy of God, but as to God's will, he saved us before the foundation of the world. For the foundation of the world. When does this happen? That's God's timing. I call that salvation realized. So today, this year, I'm celebrating my 25 years of being a child of God. And uh, what makes... Um, what, what makes this uh, so special about today is the um, first time I get a chance to preach at Grace Life, and I also get a chance to preach to, and my brother Mike's in the audience. And it was my brother Mike that led me to the Lord. That's awesome. So I owe everything to him. And as not only being a brother by flesh and blood, but also a spiritual brother and a spiritual mentor and a guiding force and a leader in our family, that I get a chance to, to share what took place in July of 1993. So here I am, just graduated from high school. I knew everything, right? I weighed a buck, 60, soaking wet, and uh, barely grew into this nose. And because, uh, you know, this isn't a nose from the South. I know I'm wearing these Texas boots, and he's like, this guy ain't a cowboy. You're absolutely right. I just want to be taller than Jimmy for a change. That's why I got these boots on. So anyway, so here I am visiting my brother in Clayton, South, or North Carolina. We're sitting on the couch. It was late last night, and he started sharing the gospel with me. And he brings this big globe pillow, this pillow. And he said, listen, man, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, this whole world, that he gave his only forgotten son, and whoever believes in him will not perish in everlasting life. And he asked me if I wanted to pray with him. And I prayed, and I declared Christ as my Savior. How cool is that, right? <clears throat> and then, and here I am 25 years later. After Jesus was arrested, now here you talk about a weak leader, Pontius Pilate. Yeah, it says here, you know, his wife tried to tell him not to press on with, with arresting and crucifying Jesus. But this guy, being the weak leader that he is, he didn't listen to his wife. Guys, listen to your spouses. Listen to your wife. Okay, they know something. They had that, this intuition, right? But instead, he was a weak, he was a coward, and he said yes to the Jews, and he said, okay, crucify Jesus, right? So Jesus is carried off to the cross, to Golgotha, the place of the, of the, of the skull, and he was crucified. Now, if you know, like, you ever get a chance to do a study, and I encourage you to do the seven statements that Jesus said on the cross. It's some powerful stuff. 
The final words that anybody was to say on their deathbed is pretty extraordinary. But what Jesus said on the cross was phenomenal. But I want to just focus on a couple here. On the sixth hour and on the ninth hour of darkness came over the land. And about the ninth hour, this is Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sakpathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that one moment in time, and the only time, that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who before the foundations of the world had a perfect relationship with the Father, and then he came down on earth in the form of man. He's hanging on the cross. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They say it is the only time in this world that the Father figuratively turned his back on the Son and the relationship with the Father and the Son was broken and sin was poured onto Jesus, our sin. When he cried out, my God, my God, Jesus became the worst of sin. He became the liar, the cheater, the adulterer, the pedophile, the rapist, the murderer. Jesus, the drug addict, became all those sins. It was the wrath of God poured on the sinless Jesus, the Son of God. He endured it all for us until he said, it is finished. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. The relationship between the father and son was restored. I thought it pretty fascinating. You know, God, you read God's word and it just hits you left and right, left and right, just amazing stories. But, you know, so he got here in Mark's gospel and then here in Matthew, it says, when the centurion of those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake... And they were terrified and explained, surely he was the son of God. So it says this, this centurion was an officer, was a commander of the Roman army, and he oversaw the execution of Jesus and these two thieves, right? But I just think that's amazing, and I'll just Nick talking here, uh, that the first person regenerated, made born again post-death of Christ was the officer of his own crucifixion. Isn't that crazy? And it wasn't the earthquake, and it wasn't flesh and blood that made this guy say, surely he was the Son of God. Who was it? Well, we know who it was because it was the same God the Father that provoked Peter to say, you are the Christ, the Son of God. The centurion was regenerated, was made born again, and he declared Christ as the Son of God. Three days later, he rose again. He rose again. At the end of his life, the tomb bursted open, and Jesus fulfilled the law, he paid the debt for sinners, and inaugurated the kingdom, and he crushed Satan's head. The cross in itself was a major blow in Satan's mission, but the resurrection sealed it all. Crushed Satan, right? Because of Christ, believers, listen to this, because of Christ, we have victory over death and sin. We have eternal life, and we have heaven to look forward to. The unbeliever lacks the spiritual capability to see truth. But the believer, the church, we have all the ability to see the truth because we have Christ in us. We talked about Satan's koas. We talked about how he uses those same koas for each one of us because we are in battle. But here's what's crazy, man, that we experience this battle. We're kind of stuck between the sin nature that wants to push sin through us and then we have the enemy wants to pull sin from us through temptation. And we're stuck in the middle of this pushing and this pulling. But my, one of my heroes, Puritans, John Owen, said he's to kill sin 
or sin will be killing you. When you go through this pushing, when you go through this pulling, we need to crucify the flesh, as Paul said. We need to look at this sin nature that's pushing and pulling. We need to slit its throat. We need to let that sin nature bleed out. We need to get rid of it, and we need to fill it with truth. We need to fill it with our church body, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to fill it with prayer. We need to embrace forgiveness. Galatians 2.20 says this, believers, don't walk out of here. If you're a believer here and you ever wonder if you lost your salvation, listen, you did not lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation because now you have the ability to see truth. Listen to this. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ and it's not I who lived, but it's Christ who lived in me. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, of course, literally, Paul was not crucified with Christ, but I was crucified with Christ is written in the aorist. That means a one-time action with ongoing effects. Hence, people are being saved every day. Christ died once, but people are being saved every day. You've been saved every day. It was once, and it's ongoing. Your sins are forgiven. The relationship's restored because of what Christ did, Right? A regenerated person will fight against those enemies of the kingdom of God to advance the kingdom of heaven. To a, a regenerated believer, a son or daughter of Christ, will fight the good fight to proclaim the eternal victory found only in Christ, only in Jesus. Why will we do that, my friends? Because it cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus his life. I share a lot of information today. A lot of information. We recapped the last few weeks. We talked about what Christ did today. Believer, I want you to embrace the truth that you are saved. You are regenerated. Your relationship has been restored and it's being restored every day because of what Christ did on the cross. But for the unbeliever, if there's someone here, let me ask you a question. If there's someone here that was to die and doesn't know if I was to end up in heaven, if my eternal security isn't in the hands of the Lord, I want you to pray a prayer. And this is a prayer of declaration. A prayer of a declaration of a salvation that was established before the foundation of the world. With everyone close their eyes and bow their heads, just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't work my way into heaven. I know that that sin that I inherited from Adam is on me. And I'll be held responsible for my sin. But today I declare you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin, that you are the one that paid the price for me. I cannot work and earn my way into heaven. I repent from my sins, and I believe in my heart that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Thank you, Father, for adopting me to be your son or daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.